So not too long ago in England, a mattress company did a study asking people if they were having trouble sleeping at night. And of course, they learned a few things about people and what it is that keeps them up. But the most fascinating thing to come from the study was an honest admission that nobody was expecting. 64% of the adults surveyed, and this is a few thousand people, 64% admitted that they were afraid of the dark. That's nearly two-thirds of every adult saying that they do not like all the lights being off as they get into bed. This has caused them to dig a little bit deeper. I'm curious if any of these findings will resonate with you. One out of five people said that they check under the bed or in the closet for monsters or whatever before they get into bed. They want to make sure nothing is hiding in the dark, which is understandable when you hear this. 36% get the feeling that someone or something is in the room with them. That is a scary thought. So far, none of these describe me, but all right, this next one, one out of five people admit to not liking to have their foot or both feet hanging out from underneath the covers in case something grabs it. I can't believe that's only one out of five. I feel like that should be everybody's fear. Uh, regularly, my last thought as I get under the covers is, am I feeling brave enough to let this foot hang out tonight or not? All that to say, some of us are afraid of the dark, literal dark. And even if you're not, I have wondered if this past year, if there's a different kind of dark that we might fear. The dark that comes alongside tough times. I was thinking about this. There's a kind of darkness that's come along in this pandemic that we've been in. Uh, at times, feels like we've been locked inside our homes. Offices have been shut down. M many businesses are in various states of openness or closedness. Uh, some who've gone out of business. School's online for most of the last 14 months. It, it, it's not just that there's a virus. It's what it's done to our way of life and our relationships. I think it's brought some darkness. My wife, Andrea, used to work in an improv comedy show in Las Vegas before we moved here. And uh, the show would run five or six nights a week, as most shows in Las Vegas do. But the nights that it wouldn't run, you know what they called those nights? A dark night. Not Batman. Uh, the name for the night of the week when a show isn't running, a dark night. The theater is dark. It's a dark night, meaning there's no show. The, the lights are off. Come back another evening. Well, for the last 14 months, our theater, when I say that, I mean our lives have been dark. There's been no show in some ways. And I know from talking to so many of you that there have been a lot of rough feelings that come with the darkness. There's, there's been anger and sadness and despair and lots and lots of fear. And we can't wait for a light at the end of the tunnel. And right now, seems like we're starting to see one, right? Vaccines are getting into arms and, and schools are opening back up and movie theaters are opening up and, and restaurants are allowing indoor dining and stores are increasing their capacity. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. I've heard that phrase more in the past few weeks than I've ever heard it in my lifetime. And maybe that's got you hoping again. If so, good. Or maybe you're a little bit cynical. I'm reminded of one of my favorite songs from the 90s. I think it was 1992. Uh, favorite songs by Cracker. The lyrics, I see the light at the end of the tunnel now. Someone please tell me it's not a train. Maybe that's you. You see light, but you're not sure whether to put much stock in it. E either way, whether you are hopeful or skeptical, it seems as if we are coming out of the dark. But before we leave it, 
we at Crosswinds, we, we wondered what it would be to reflect back on some things we might have discovered in the darkness that would be important to know for the next time we find ourselves in the dark again. And, and that's the idea behind this series. As we see the light at the end of the tunnel, but are still at least a few feet away from being out of it, what might God want us to have gotten from the darkness? Because sometimes if you don't stop and ask that, you might miss something he had for you in the darkness. The darkness goes to waste. And we're going to look over five weeks at five instances of darkness in Scripture. And today, the one we're going to look at has to do with how alone we tend to feel in times of darkness. Have you noticed one of the problems when you're going through a tough season is how alone you sometimes feel? Not too long ago, I, I, I was mourning the loss of a friendship. This is somebody I really cared about. And some stuff happened that, that really created a rift in our relationship. And this person wasn't willing to reconcile. And it was hard. It was a really hard time for me. And I felt pretty alone. But here's the thing. I was surrounded by people. In fact, I'm surrounded by pastors. You guys, I get to work with some of the best pastors every single day. But I couldn't talk to them about it because it felt like it would be gossipy to go talk with someone about this, and I didn't want to badmouth my old friend. I wasn't physically alone, but in my problem, I was very alone. You know what I'm talking about? I was thinking about this. Maybe people who've been through a divorce can relate to this better than anyone. You have these friends or you have a church that, that are both you and your spouse's friends or your church. And, and then something happens where you split up and you desperately need people around you. You need someone in your life. And yet you can't always go to the closest people to you because it might feel like you're manipulating those people against the person that you're splitting from and you feel very alone. I, I hear this all the time. It's just to say, you can be surrounded by people and feel very alone in the darkness that you go through. And I want to show you something today that we learn about the darkness that speaks to this alone thing. Whether you feel it now, felt it in the past, whether you're going to feel it in the future, something in the Bible that we read in Exodus. Exodus 19, let me set the scene. God's people have been slaves in Egypt, and they have escaped. Moses has led them out of captivity, and all of the people camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is the part of their story where God's about to give them the Ten Commandments. And, and most of what we remember from this Mount Sinai part of the story is the Ten Commandments. But, but I want you to see how this whole thing actually goes down. Take a look at verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And before he gives the Ten Commandments, God tells Moses, here's how this is going to work. You and I are going to talk. We're going to talk like we have been. I mean, God has been talking to Moses all along. In fact, he's talking to him in what we just read about talking to him. But he's saying, Moses, so that the people will see that I'm talking to you and then trust in you as the leader, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to come to you in, look at what it says, a dense cloud. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a dense cloud, uh, living where we do, so close to the San Francisco Bay. I'm going to guess it happened at some point. And I love the way that fog forms a dense cloud. It, it can be so striking. I had experienced fog before I moved here, but not like this. I, I grew up in the Midwest. We had fog. You would just wake up and there would be fog everywhere. And you didn't see an end of the fog or a beginning. You just knew that you were in it and then it would burn off or go away. Well, when I was moving here to the Bay Area, 
I found myself driving here, uh, coming out of the Mojave Desert and driving up into the Tehachapi Pass, and I remember vividly what it was to be in a sunny desert setting and to look at the mountain in front of me and see it covered in a dense cloud. And, and I remember driving into it thinking, wow, I am entering the fog. Like I could see the beginning of the fog in front of me as if I were driving into a garage. It was so thick and, and just covering the top of the mountain and the part that I was ascending to. And once I got in, it went from sunny to dark so fast. Okay, that is exactly what God is describing. Moses, you are now in the sunny desert outside Egypt, but this mountain, Mount Sinai, is going to be covered near the top in a dense cloud, a very obvious cloud. And you, Moses, are going to come up into it. Verse 12, God tells him, here's what I want you to do. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it even. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. This is a big deal. God says this area is just for you and me. No one else can come up onto the mountain. And this is such a big deal. Somebody tries, they'll be put to death. And, and maybe that seems extreme to you, and I won't deny that it is, but here's the significance of this. It's, it's not because the mountain itself is special or, or God is trying to set Moses up as a supreme leader. The reason that God won't allow just anyone onto the mountain is because God himself will be in the fog. You ready? God is present in this dense cloud, like physically present, and a holy God at this point in the Hebrew Bible, what people call the Old Testament, will not allow just anyone into his presence. All right, real quick aside, we find in the Christian Bible, what we commonly call the New Testament, that through Jesus, God invites everyone into his presence. But that's not the way it is for God's people as we read about him in the book of Exodus. Back to the point, God is present in the cloud. Okay, hold that thought. Three days go by. And verse 16 tells us, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Remember, they did not go up on it. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like, like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Right, get this picture. Moses leads the people to the bottom of the mountain, right at the foot, at the trail where he's about to go up. And they get there, and they see this cloud, but it's even more than a fog. It's smoke because God has descended in fire, and there's like an earthquake happening at the same time. And there, there's a trumpet being blasted, but nobody from their group is playing the trumpet. It's just the sound of God coming from the cloud. So Moses goes up the mountain, and it's as if as he goes, he is in dialogue with the weather, yelling into it one minute, tilting his head to listen to the thunder the next. As Moses gets up there, God tells him again, make sure the people know not to come up to this cloud, even the priests. Make sure they know if they break through that cloud and see me, they will die. And Moses says, I already told them. And God says, go tell them again. So Moses does, and he comes back, and then 
God speaks the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And God begins to write this down. He inscribes this onto a stone tablet with his own finger. He is physically present. God gives 10 of these, 10 commandments. That's the part of Exodus 20 that everyone remembers. But let me show you what happens right after the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment is in verse 17. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, oxen, all that. And then in verse 18, look at this. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Catch this. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Moses comes out and he says, here's the Ten Commandments. And the people receive them. And then they say, uh, we saw what was happening up there. You don't have to tell us again to not go up the mountain. We'll be staying as far away from this mountain as possible. But then it says, Moses drew near to the thick darkness, darkness where God was. And, and this is the first time the dense cloud is described with this word that I mentioned earlier today, darkness. It's not just a cloud. It's not just fog or thunder and lightning. It's darkness. Now, let me tell you, the word translated darkness here is arafel. And you should know there are other Hebrew words for dark and darkness, but they were not used here. This, this is a word used in the Bible at this point that we're reading in Exodus exclusively for a different kind of darkness, a darkness where God is present. Arafel is a darkness that reveals that God is present even while keeping him hard to see. And what we find in this passage is that the God who we know of as the Father of light, and the God that we think of as the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it, that same God isn't just present in light, but is very present in the darkness. And, and here's what God is wanting us to see in this passage, that, that, that I, I think we've learned it personally before we leave the tunnel of darkness we've been in for 14 months. God is wanting us to see that darkness is as sure a sign of God's presence as brightness is. God wants you to know darkness is as sure a sign of his presence as brightness is. Let me say it differently. God is as present in the darkness as he is in the light. And, and, and maybe what you need to solidify today is, is we hopefully turn a corner on this pandemic or maybe some of you need to realize this for the first time, in the midst of your darkness, you are not alone. God is just as present as he is in the good times, as he is when your life feels like it's full of light. A number of years ago, a woman named Becky Greer wrote down some of her story. Uh, when her daughter Cammie was nine, she gave her mom a stargazer lily for Mother's Day. And she said, Mom, when the blooms die, plant it outside. The florist said that if you plant this outside, it'll come back next year. And Becky didn't believe it. But, but when the 
blooms faded and died. Her, her daughter kept bugging her. We got to plant it. We've got to plant it. Of course, winter came and the lily died. And, and actually, what's overwhelmingly tragic about that winter is that Cammie died and her two brothers in a terrible shooting that took all three of their lives. She writes that her world became totally and completely dark. The following spring, the lily sprouted. She, she writes, it grew to produce 27 fragrant pink blooms, and I became filled with inexpressible joy. Joy in my darkness? How could that be? Without my children, I believed I could never feel joy or happiness again. And, and she writes, I did not believe the lily could survive the darkness of winter. And I did not believe that I could survive the darkness of my grief and suffering after losing my children. But God was working on the lily in the darkness of the earth. And he was working on me in the darkness of my grief. I just didn't know it. Just because we don't always experience God's presence doesn't mean he isn't there, she concludes. Crosswinds, it's not just that God's present in the darkness. You ready for this? The darkness reveals his presence. Maybe some of you have heard of Gregory of Nyssa. He lived in the fourth century. He was venerated as a saint by the Catholic Church. He pointed something out about Moses. Um, Moses' vision began with light, right? A burning bush. And, and then after that, God led Moses with a cloud. The Bible tells us a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. But as Moses grew and he got closer and closer to God, Moses saw God in the darkness. And Gregory basically said, those of us who want to draw near to God, we shouldn't be surprised when our vision starts to get cloudy because it's just a sign that we are approaching what he called the opaque splendor of God that resides in the darkness, the opaque splendor. It reveals God to us. In Isaiah 45.3, God says, I will give you the treasures of darkness, treasures of darkness, in riches hidden in secret places, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. God says there are treasures in the darkness. I wonder if those treasures are these things about himself or, or, or these valuable life lessons that we can only get from God when we're in this dark place. Now, we've got four more learnings for you, but we'll get to those other weeks. For now, what would it be for you to see God's presence for you in this darkness. Before we leave the tunnel, for you to recognize how present he has been and to thank him for it. As you look back over this pandemic, have there been places in your darkness where you've been distracted or, or, or so focused on getting to the end of this thing that you've missed noticing and benefiting from God's presence? It's not too late, even in retrospect to look at where you've come from and what you're in right now and figure out where God might be wanting to show you his presence as we focus on this as a church. Can I encourage you? Take some time this week, maybe today, maybe right now when this is over, to recognize how present God has been for you through this and thank him. That said, I know there are some of you who very much feel like you are still in the middle of the tunnel or the beginning, not, like not so, so not close to the end yet. And, and maybe your tunnel isn't COVID related. In fact, maybe you see a tunnel coming. You know it's about to get a little bit dark. All right, what would it be for you right now to enter it knowing that God is present in this darkness that's coming and that you can have strength and hope 
he will meet you in the tunnel. He's in it waiting for you. He's going to reveal his presence to you in new ways in the darkness. But let me close with another story. I, I know I already told a tragic one. This one starts that way as well. In 1991, a guy named Jerry Sitzer, he, he lost his mother, his wife, his children in a terrible drunk driving accident. All of them were on their way home from an event. A drunk driver going 85 miles per hour killed them all. He got a phone call. He writes in his book, he went into a black hole of oblivion, uh, just frankly, wanting out of life altogether. And, and he says that one night, he had kind of a waking dream. In the dream, the sun was setting, and he was frantically chasing after it toward the west, hoping to catch the sun and bring it back. But it was a losing race, because soon the sun was gone. And, and, he, and he says he felt a thick, vast darkness setting in. Well, a few days after this dream, he told it to his sister. And she said something so profound to him. She said, the quickest way to reach the sun is not to go west, but instead to head east, to move fully into darkness until you get to the sunrise. And he writes this, the quickest way for anyone to reach the sun in the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. And for you, what you must know is as you head east, God is present in the darkness with you, leading you to the sunrise. The light at the end of the tunnel 